What's up, Repraise Your Family? We are back with another Bible study message for you. And continuing in our journey through the book of Revelation, we are hearing again from Angie Pierce, who is talking to us about the second letter to the church in Smyrna. This church is known as the Suffering Church. And there is so much that we today, as the church, can learn from this suffering church of long, long ago. So we truly hope and pray that after hearing this message, that it resonates with you and it empowers you. All right, so we're we're recording now. So, um, kind of like Sean said, um, so first week we just gave kind of intro to the book of Revelation. Those notes are also in the Google Drive. Um, that one was a very lengthy message, uh, very word study oriented. And then last week, uh, Jorian gave us a lesson on the letter to the Church of Ephesus, and he gave a super powerful and informative. A message. And so the first thing we saw with the church of Ephesus was um, that Christ commended the church for what they had done, right? So their works, their labor, how they had endured, um, they weren't tolerating evil people, and they were testing false prophets, right? And they continuously persevered through hardships uh, for Christ's namesake. But after he commended them, we saw that they also had a rebuke, right? So um, he rebuked them for abandoning the love that they first had for one another and for Christ himself, right? So that was the rebuke to that church. That was something that we learned that they had to change to truly be in sync with God, right? And then the third thing we learned was the action that needed to take place uh, for them to get uh, back in the in the place that Christ had for them, right? So uh, Christ basically told them to repent or that he'd remove their lampstand, right? So they'd still be a church. They, they'd still be a group of people, um, but they wouldn't be in alignment with Christ. And so basically Christ told them to repent and to do the works that they once did. And that was love God and love one another, right? So from that message, there's a couple things that we could take out of that. Uh, we learned that without love for both Christ and one another, our works are pretty much useless. And that can be kind of scary when, you know, in this day and age, we really focus on doing for the church, building the kingdom. And sometimes we forget about the people. Um, sometimes we forget about where our heart, our heart posture is. So it's very important that at the forefront of our minds, right, we're thinking about loving God and loving people always. And we know that in the gospels, we see that those uh, are the first two commandments, right? The first, I guess, the new commandments um, as far as what we should focus on uh, as Christians. And so one of the things that I love that Jorian's message alluded to when I wrote it down, um, and he didn't say it in these words, but this is kind of how I took it. He said, the outward appearance means nothing if the inward appearance to Christ is not acceptable in his sight, right? So that's one thing I want us as we go through this series and as we are on this trek to become the church that God intended, I want us to remember that, that we, the outward appearance can look great, um, but it's the inward appearance, appearance that matters, right? God looks at the heart and not just what we're, we're looking like or doing on the outside. Uh, and as Jorian said, love has everything to do with it. Um, so for this message, we're going to be talking about the second church. Um, Smyrna is the church. And so we're only going to be looking at four verses. We're going to be looking at verses eight through 11. Um, and though it's a short passage, uh, I feel like the Lord gave me a lot of different things for us to look at. We're not going to hit on every single thing. 
Um, but we're going to talk about suffering today because Smyrna was known as the suffering church. So let's pray real quick and then we will get right into the message. Bow your head, close your eyes. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you, Father, for this time, Lord. We we are excited that we get the opportunity to continue to dissect your word, Father, as we prepare for Christ's return, Lord. I, I pray right now, Father, that there is no fear. For as we as we learned in the first week, Lord, we know that we don't have to fear tomorrow because tomorrow is already one, Lord. And I ask, Lord, that we are remembering to love one another and to love you first, Lord. Um, I thank you, Holy Spirit, for speaking through me. I thank you that you're going to speak to each person and to those that will listen to this message later and it's in jesus name that we pray amen all right so i want to start off with a few questions y'all kind of know that's my jam so um as we always do it um put a one in the chat for yes and put a two in the chat for no um i do want to kind of give a disclaimer that these questions there's only three questions but they are somewhat personal um, as far as where you're at in your walk so if you're not comfortable answering that's totally fine um, the questions are in the notes, so if you want to look at them later and maybe answer them and journal on them, I would encourage you to do so. And for those that will listen on the podcast la uh, app later, I encourage you also um, to write them down, journal on them, meditate on them, um, and allow the Lord to show you where you're, where you're truly at. Um, so the first question says, have you experienced persecution or suffering for Christ's namesake? Uh, so put a one in the chat for yes, put a two in the chat for no, and I'll give y'all a second. All right, and I'm a two as well myself. I will say that I am a two. And through this message, we are going to, you know, towards the end, I will talk about uh, or give a couple examples of what suffering may look like um, in our day and age, okay? So, all right, we'll move on to the next question. I see some ones, I see some twos. I love that we have a diverse group of what people have experienced. I love that. So question two, are you willing to suffer for Christ no matter the cost? And before you answer, I really want you to think about this because if you say no, that's okay. That just gives you somewhere to start. It's a, it's a starting point, it's a growing point and that's okay. Um, to suffer for Christ, right? As we're, and we're gonna talk about taking up our cross and carrying it a little bit later. Um, but this is something huge. This is something that you don't wanna say yes today that you're there and then be tested tomorrow if you're not truly ready for that. So I want us to think about it uh, before we put our answers in the chat. Um, so for me, um, I'm at a place where I'm a one and it took me years to get there. Um, but if you're if you're comfortable with sharing, go ahead and drop that in the chat. All right, I see some ones, I see some twos. Okay. All right, and we will move on to question three. Um, and if you wanna keep dropping on that answer, 100% fine, right? Totally good. Um, the last question is, have you prepared for suffering for Christ, right? So it's one thing to say that we're ready. It's another thing to say that we're prepared. And so I feel like that is what John is giving us in the book of Revelation. He's helping us to prepare. He's helping us to get our heart right, our minds right, our actions right, our behaviors right. 
Um, and th that's one thing I love about this book that uh, a lot of times it's it's a book that people are afraid to read, but it's a book of preparation. And that's one thing that I just love about John's writing overall is that he prepares us uh, for what's to come, right? So I'll ask that question again. Have you prepared for suffering for Christ? Put a one in the chat for yes and a two in the chat for no. All right, I see some ones, I see some twos. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about that as well, how we can, how we can prepare. Um, and the biggest preparation tool you can have is knowing what is gonna happen, knowing what's to come. So reading the word of God, meditating on it, praying on it, um, being really in, in the spirit when you're reading this, this word is vital for being prepared, right? So. All right, I see some one and a halves. I appreciate uh, the transparency there, guys. All right, so that's gonna be all our questions. Um, like I said, we, we'll post these later um, or we'll post the link to it later. I believe Kaya said she'll throw it in the chat for everybody. Uh, so let's turn back to the uh, chapter two of the book of Revelation and let's hop down to, to verse eight. And we're gonna read that passage real quick. Um, and uh, I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. Um, some of the other versions, they, they're worded a little bit different. Um, but as far as what I've seen, I, I kind of went through a couple of the different translations and they're, they're very similar. So I'll give you all a second to turn there and then I will, get, uh, I will start reading those, those four verses. Somebody is not muted. Okay, so let's, uh, sorry, I had to, somebody's TV was on, I think, in the background, so I muted everybody. Okay, so starting at verse eight, um, the letter to Smyrna, it says, write to the angel of the church in Smyrna, thus says the first and the last, the one who was dead and came to life. I know your affliction and poverty, but you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you, and you will experience affliction. Uh, some translations say tribulation, and I love that. For 10 days, be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Uh, verse 11 says, let anyone who has ears to hear, listen to what the spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will never be harmed by the second death. All right. So let's, I want to give um, a little bit of context to this before we truly hop into breaking down those four verses, right? So um, Smyrna was very special in the eyes of Christ simply because they were willing to suffer for his namesake. They were often referred to as the persecuted or the suffering church. And so that's the title of this message, the suffering and persecuted church. It's that, uh, that simple, that plain. Um, and so unlike the church of Ephesus, as I kind of talked about in the intro where Ephesus had, they were commended, they were rebuked, and then they had an action. Uh, Smyrna, and there's one other church that we'll talk about later on in this series. There are only two of the seven, though, that don't receive a rebuke based on where they're at, what they're doing, their heart postures, right? And so Smyrna was one of those churches that did not receive a rebuke. Um, they received commendment, right, for 
um, you know, living in affliction and poverty. And you'll find how ironic that is when I kind of go through the history and some of the facts about Smyrna, um, but was called rich. And they were rich because of where their hearts were, where their willingness was, where their actions were, where their behaviors were, right? And so um, we'll dig more into that in a minute. Um, but I kind of want I think we have to understand some of the facts and the history on the church to understand why uh, Christ um, authored this letter, or obviously John wrote it, but the words and, and the symbolism that John was given through Christ is symbolic of kind of the, uh, from the history, historical facts of the church. So just a little bit about Smyrna. La uh, two weeks ago, we dropped um, a map in the shared Google Drive of um, where all the churches were in comparison to one another. So Smyrna was about 40 miles north of Ephesus, right? And so ironically, like I said a little, a little while ago, um, Smyrna was known as one of the most beautiful um, cities of the seven. It was deemed most beautiful. They were, uh, the, the city itself was wealthy, um, had a lot of valuable materials and, and things of that sort. And so I say that's ironic because in verse nine, we saw that Christ uh, in the letter, it says, I know your affliction and poverty, but you are rich. And so they weren't rich in the sense of things and materials, right? Um, they were rich in the sense of the spirit. And that's so important as we learn a little bit more about this church, right? And so Smyrna, the name itself is derived from the Hebrew word myrrh, right? And so what is that? Glad you asked. Um, it's a balsamic gum from um, the plant's Comophora myrrha, and um, it could be taken in a liquid state and used as an oil, which in the Old Testament, we see that uh, this specific plant or this specific um, material was used to make anointing oil, and I'll give some reference to scriptures in a second, um, and it could be also taken in a hardened um, state and turned into resin. Um, and that was for incense, right? So um, I know a lot of us are probably uh, familiar with the song by C.C. Winans, and I believe it's worthy of it all. And it says, uh, day and night, night and day, let incense arise. So incense was a form of worship in the Old Testament. It was a way of um, fostering in what they deemed um, God's presence. And so um, myrrh was used in that aspect as well. So one of the most symbolic things um, about myrrh itself is that um, it was produced by crushing a fragrant plant. And so through that crushing process, and we'll see how Smyrna itself was being crushed by those around them, right? But yet they were able um, to let off a sweet aroma to God. And that's similar to what the plant itself did and what their name means, right? And so as that plant was being crushed, it just let off a beautiful fragrance. And so in the Old Testament, as I kind of mentioned, um, myrrh was used for worship and perfume. Um, so Exodus 30, 23 through 25, not gonna read it, um, but if you wanna write that one down, um, it tells us how the uh, the ingredient itself was used for anointing oil, um, and it's how the tent of meeting and the furniture in the tent of meeting um, was anointed, right? Um, and then in the New Testament, um, myrrh was actually one of the three gifts given to Christ um, by the Magi, and that's in Matthew 2 and 11. And so, um, and then according to the Gospel of Mark, um, that's Mark chapter 15, verse 23, um, myrrh was actually mixed in the wine offered to Christ on the cross. 
Um, and then one other example, and this is in John 19 and 39, um, Nicodemus used myrrh when preparing Christ's body after the crucifixion, right? So myrrh was uh, used for uh, it was bought and used amongst wealthy people. And I think a lot of times, um, and I think Sean mentioned this uh, earlier this year, where we have a mindset at times that Christ was poor, but Christ at his birth was literally given things of wealth, like material wealth, right? And so, but myrrh is also used as anointing the dead. And so that's uh, super symbolic um, for the Church of Smyrna itself. And so one last thing about the Church of Smyrna, right? So, or the city itself, uh, it was one of, well, myrrh itself was one of the most valuable materials and it was very expensive. And as I kind of mentioned a second ago, uh, only the rich, wealthy, and powerful typically had access to it, surprisingly. And so um, those are the couple facts. Uh, you don't have to write all those down. Like I said, they'll be in our Google Drive. But um, so I want us to conclude um, from the importance of mirror um, and how it's symbolic, right? Um, it's symbolic to both the life and death of Christ. We see throughout his ministry, it kept coming up, right? Um, uh, until the point of death. And it's also symbolic um, to the suffering of the church in Smyrna, right? So as they were being crushed by the world, um, they let off a very, very sweet aroma uh, of faithfulness to Christ. And it was recognized. And we see that in the words given to the church um, from Christ, right? So now that we have that background information, let's just get straight into the text. So let's read uh, verses eight and nine again. And it says, write to the angel of the church in Smyrna, thus says the first and the last, the one who was dead and came to life. I know your affliction and poverty, but you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. And so first thing we see in that verse eight is that Jesus is described as the first and the last and the one who was dead and came to life. And so during week one, we kind of talked about this, right? We, we discussed how Christ was the firstborn of the dead. And so after dying on the cross for us, um, something, right, that we, we tell everywhere we go, that is the message of Christ, right, that he died for us and he rose again and he's our savior and Lord. <clears throat> and so after dying on the cross, he rose again. And that's, that's the gist of the first and the last, right? Um, but understanding what it means for him to be the firstborn of the dead. And so if you missed week one, go to that Google Drive, pull up those notes, and it's all uh, broken down there. And so as we continue uh, through the text, we'll see later on um, that Christ's analogy of faithfulness when it comes to life and death, right? And so we'll see that later in verse 10. And so um, this is how Christ is revealing himself to the church, right? Um, but when we think about him being the first and last, the one who was dead and came to life, we, get, we can get a visual of the suffering that Christ went through, right? So he died on that cross for us. Um, he was embarrassed. He was, he was beaten. So many things, right? He took on a sinner's death simply for us, and he suffered for you and me. And so that's one thing. Um, I love how, especially in the Gospels, you'll see how when Christ is talking to a group, when he's writing to a group, whatever it is, 
Um, he makes it relatable. And so suffering was relatable to this church. They were being persecuted. They were going through affliction. They were living in poverty for Christ's namesake. So he's writing with a, with suffering in mind, or he's speaking more so with suffering in mind. And that is how he could relate to this church. So that's one of the key things for understanding how John, um, is writing to this church uh, through what Christ had given him. It's through suffering, right? So Christ uh, died out of love and obedience. He suffered affliction as he prepared for the cross and was killed uh, by those who claim to love God, uh, the God of the New Testament or the Old Testament, right? And we know that the God of the Old Testament and New Testament is the same, uh, but many Jews um, didn't believe that Christ was the Messiah, right? Um, And so that's, that's key here as well, especially for verse nine. So um, as previously mentioned um, in that verse nine, um, Smyrna was a church that was enduring uh, affliction and poverty, yet they were still deemed rich. And this is something that's so special. And as we are suffering um, on this side of heaven, whatever it may be, uh, rather it be, you know, for your faith, your finances, or maybe you're just in spiritual warfare. Um, this is something to remember that if you're staying faithful to Christ, um, if you're you're continuously believing that Christ is working on your behalf, you are rich um, and you will have eternal blessings, right? We can't see them right now. Uh, and we love to see tangible things. We wanna see things we can touch. We wanna see the money. We wanna see the house. We wanna see the cars. But on uh, the other side of heaven in eternity, those things won't matter. And so as we suffer for Christ, we wanna keep that in mind mind that we are rich in the spirit and being rich in the spirit is 10 times more important than being rich in the physical right and so they were deemed rich in the eyes of Christ um and at this point in history um persecution was rampant it was common um and we we can probably when we think of it to ourselves you know and this is why I asked earlier uh were you willing to suffer for Christ um, because that's something where, you know, we think about, oh, maybe I'll lose a couple of friends. Maybe, you know, um, I'll get kicked out of a group or something like that. Um, but when we think about being beaten and being chased and having to hide, that's a different type of suffering that in the United States, it's not very common, right? And so that's something to keep in mind. And so to suffer for Christ is to be rich in the spirit and the eternal kingdom of God, right? So I'll say that one more time. Uh, Kaya, if you can, I'll have you type that in the chat. That's one of the things I want us to remember as we're studying this church. Uh, To suffer for Christ is to be rich in the spirit and the eternal kingdom of God. And let me know, Kaya, if you need me to repeat that one more time. Um, Yep, it's to be rich in the spirit and the eternal kingdom of God. All right. Yep. There we go. She put it in the chat for us. Okay. So let's talk about um, how Christ describes those that were afflicting um, persecution and just uh, causing suffering to this church, right? So um, they're described in verse nine as those who say they are Jews and are not but are a synagogue of Satan. So not only was the church enduring persecution from the city and those who weren't believers at all, but they were enduring persecution from those who called themselves Jews, right? And in essence, that could be their own people, right? And so one of the the big takeaways that I love that I got from this is that, yes, in the Old Testament, Jews were considered God's, uh, you know, chosen people. We know that. 
Um, and it had to do with bloodline. It had to do with a slew of things, right? And so um, one of the things in, in Smyrna, the city itself, that I learned as I kind of uh, did some research on just the city itself in that time was that it was very big on emperor worship. So whoever was the ruler at the time, um, they were big on setting up um, idols and worshiping that emperor. And they were also really big on Greek God worship. Um, so that's one thing to note. So why were they described in this way, right? So during this time, um, the Jews were still, a lot of the Jews, I'll say, were still rejecting Christ himself, right? And so, um, and they opposed all who believed in Christ. And that was just the bottom line. So when we think about the Pharisees, when we think about Paul prior to his conversion, that is the type of things that um, the church of Smyrna, those are the type of people that they were dealing with. Those who weren't convinced that Christ was the Messiah, they weren't willing to believe and they ultimately rejected him, right? And so this, like I said, this teaches us that being Jew is not solely based on bloodline, culture, or heritage. Uh, it's about the heart posture towards Christ, right? To be God's chosen people, you have to believe in him in totality, right? That's believing in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And there's no way around that. And so um, when we talk about um, the synagogue of Satan, just with how that was worded, um, one of the things that came to mind for me, and this is something that I wrote down, was to oppose those who follow Christ is to oppose Christ himself and be in agreement with Satan. And that's the bottom line. If you oppose Christ, there's really only two teams that we can be on. It's team Jesus or team Satan. And that's the bottom line. Uh, rather we say we believe or not, um, at the end of the day, it's either you will be with God and you will be with Christ or you won't be. And that's just the bottom line. And so the phrase synagogue of Satan, it simply reveals that the ultimate source of this per this persecution that the church of Smyrna uh, was enduring from, it was from Satan himself. And that that's um, that's something that I want all of us to note, right? And so when we talked about the last two weeks, we talked about the importance of words. And so synagogue of Satan is one of those important words, one of those important phrases that we need to realize. Satan is involved in the persecution, uh, persecution of the church, and there's just no way around that. And so, um, sorry, um, we must also, hey, Kelsey. hold on, let me, let me, uh, Jorian real quick. He might have muted himself. Oh, no, he didn't. Okay. So um, so we have to remember where opposition and rejection of Christ exists, uh, Satan is in control. And that's the bottom line, right? And so that's something um, that we want to keep at the forefront of our minds. And especially as um, you know, we're, we're seeing signs and, and wonders and miracles and all those great things. Um, but we have to remember that in this world, just because we don't see opposition to Christ, other than on social media, other than maybe the, the way people live, um, there is, there is true physical persecution that's happening. Um, and Satan is in control of that, right? And so, um, one of the other things that, really came to mind for me when I was reading verse nine is that it's the way in which Christ is saying what he's saying, right? And he's rejecting those who oppose his lordship. He's literally saying that you are not a Jew to people that are from the bloodline of Jews, right? And so it's important to understand that, uh, like I said, you know, 
Um, it, it's, it's less to do with bloodline heritage and culture and more to do with that heart posture. And we know that Christ looks at the heart posture. And so another thing that we get out of this verse nine is that Christ recognizes Smyrna's faithfulness to him through the suffering that they endured. And we, uh, Sean and I had a really, really good conversation the other night as we were kind of talking through, you know, how, how I was going to put this message together. And one of the things he asked me was um, what I think about suffering. It was something in that way. And so we talked about how we can choose how we suffer. And so this, cho uh, this church chose what they were willing to suffer for. And that was literally for Christ's namesake, for the kingdom, um, for the message, for the gospel, they were willing to suffer. And that's one thing um, that we have to come to terms with. And Sean put it so well. He said that we're going to suffer. Uh, we will suffer rather we choose to or not. And so you can choose how you suffer and what you suffer for in essence, or in terms of suffering for Christ from that way. And so I have two more questions um, that I want us um, to write down. Um, and this isn't ones we, we're gonna answer for in the chat. I just encourage you to write these down and meditate on them and journal over them this week. So the first one is, what am I willing to suffer for? Um, and so how we kind of talked about at the beginning, am I willing and am I prepared to suffer for Christ? Maybe that's something that in, in your mind you're willing to suffer for, but in your heart, you're not there yet. So that's something, you know, we could tackle this week as we meditate on this word. So that question again was, what am I willing to suffer for? And so the next question, um, and so if, if we know that affliction and suffering are inevitable, uh, meaning that they're going to happen one way or another, and it may not be in the physical, it may be in spiritual warfare, it may be in your finances, it may be in your career, it may be in your household, whatever it is, um, we know that affliction and suffering are inevitable. So how will I choose to suffer? So what does it mean to choose to suffer, right? So when we talk about suffering, a lot of times, you know, let's say we're experiencing a death in the family. Maybe we ask the Lord to heal our mother or our father or our friend. Uh, maybe we ask the Lord to give us that new job and take us out of the situation that we were in. And maybe cry, Maybe the answer hasn't gotten to you yet. So you're enduring some suffering. Maybe it's physical. You know, maybe you're becoming sick because you're so fed up. Maybe it's mental or emotional where it's all you can think about. You feel like uh, spirits of anxiety and depression are trying to attack you, right? Um, let's think about it in those terms. And so when we go through suffering, are we still faithful to God? Am I still in my word? Do I still consider God the Lord of my life, right? Do I, do I still pray and do I still honor and respect and glorify God through the suffering and the affliction? And for me, for a lot of years, the answer was no. And I'm going to be honest with you. I would go through things that, you know, were self-afflicted. I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh, a lot of it, especially, you know, y'all know that uh, prior to being with Sean, I went through a really rough 10-year relationship and the Lord had given me sign after sign after sign. Um, I literally had asked the Lord straight up multiple times, show me if this is who you want me to be with. And he would show me literally within hours or the next day. And I, I allowed myself to continue to suffer and I blamed it on God. And I didn't remain faithful to the Lord. I'm just gonna be honest with you. I, I strayed from church. I stopped reading my word. The Lord was the blame. You know, it could be the same in finances where maybe I'm not a good steward of finances yet. And the Lord has revealed that to me. And I'm asking the Lord, give me the better job so I have more money. 
let me win the lottery because we'd be playing them lottery tickets. Like, let's not even play, right? Um, but the Lord knows what we're capable of stewarding, right? And so maybe you're suffering in your finances and you're like, Lord, I need you to make a way. And maybe you've been faithful in your finances. Um, are you still gonna be faithful to God when you don't get the new job? Is he still good when you don't have the thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars in your bank account, but he's sustaining you? That's the type of things that we have to think about. I'm choosing to remain faithful to God through the affliction and the suffering, right? I'm choosing to call God good, still glorify him, still magnify him, still allow him to be Lord of my life, head of my household, whatever it may be, even through the suffering and the affliction. Um, I still have joy in the morning, even though everything isn't great, even though, you know, maybe today I have to go deal with the difficult employee, like Brittany told us, you know, that's things that weigh on us, but the Lord is still faithful and the Lord is still good. Um, so I'll ask that question again. How will I choose to suffer? Will it be in joy? Will I still be faithful? Will I still have peace? Because that's a big component of this, right? Or will I choose to be mad and angry? Will I turn my back from the Christian faith? And I know I've done that myself. So uh, it's realistic, um, but it's not the best way, right? So we wanna, when we're, when we're suffering, when we're and how we choose to suffer, we wanna make sure that Christ is still the forefront. I see Christ above everything else. Um, you know, the suffering, you know, whatever it may be, it might be big, but God is bigger. Um, so I won't beat a dead horse. Now we're gonna go. Uh, we're going to go into verse 10, right? And so let's read verse 10 real quick. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you, and you will experience affliction for 10 days. Be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life, right? So the first part of this verse, um, as I was studying this, I feel like um, we were giving... Uh, we were given an indication of the, maybe the state of mind that the church was in. Yes, they were suffering. Yes, they were willing to endure persecution, but there was fear there. Christ doesn't say things just to say it, right? When he says it, it's of significance and we should consider it an indicator of, okay, Lord, you're speaking this to me. So there's some area in my life, in my heart, in my mind, in my behavior, in my words, that's, that's, uh, prompting you to say this, right? So due to all the persecution and affliction that they were experiencing, it was natural to be fearful, right? We are not um, immortal. So, you know, we can be killed obviously in the physical, but there's also spiritual death that can happen long before a physical death, right? And so who wouldn't be fearful in this hostile environment and an, un an unpredictable, uh, unpredictable environment that they were living in, right? So we have to keep that in mind. So Christ recognizes um, that the situation that they're in can cause fear. Um, and he addressed it, right? So he tells them, uh, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. So if God tells me I don't have to be afraid, it's because he is going to protect me, right? And that's the bottom line. And protection looks different in every circumstance. And that's, you know, we know that um, people are martyred for, for their belief in Christ in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, or their belief in God in the Old Testament, belief in Christ in the New Testament, and in our world today. But that's not something that we, we see up close and personal very often, right? Um, but even in that, um, God is still good, and they were still protected at the end of the day. Um, protection is not always physical. It can be spiritual. It can be emotional. It can be mental, right? So as, as 
as followers of Christ, as we are going through things that may cause us to be afraid, right? That's okay. Uh, but this is something that we can take that um, do not be afraid, right? We don't have to be afraid because Christ is by our side. And that's why I love um, when, when I was studying for Revelation 1, um, just the phrase of fear not tomorrow, tomorrow is one. At the end of the day, anyone that is in Christ is a winner, right? Anyone that is in Christ is protected. And at the end of the day, kind of like what Jorian said last week, we know how the battle ends and, and Christ wins, right? So that's something to take with us as we go in day to day. It might be fearful. I see a lot of posts now that say, do it afraid, right? And that's that's it. Do it afraid and allow the Lord to remove that fear. Don't let it to stop. Don't let it stop what God is calling you to do. Um, so the next thing we see um, is, um, as we talked about, fear is in our suffering is inevitable. So we shouldn't fear the possibility of suffering simply because suffering will continue to happen. And it may not be you specifically, but suffering within the Christian faith will happen until the return of Christ. And that's just the bottom line. We know that Satan and evil spirits and uh, people that are under the influence are saying Satan are all across this world and suffering is going to happen until Christ returns. Um, so something interesting that I heard a couple weeks ago, uh, actually on a TikTok video, uh, there was a girl talking and she talked about how a lot of times all we talk about is how heaven knows your name, right? The Lord knows your name. The angels that serve the Lord know your name. Um, but she mentioned how hell knows your name also. And so as we're, as we're gearing up in the faith and fighting this fight of faith, fighting against spiritual warfare, all of these things that are trying to come against the kingdom of God, we have to understand that hell knows our name, right? And so something that the Lord literally revealed to me last night um, was that Satan's nature is rooted in affliction. And that's something that we have to keep in mind. So I want us to picture this, right? So, and I, I have to read it directly from my paper, how the Lord gave it to me. And he said, imagine being one of the highest angels and deemed a son of God, right? And so we know that angels and even men throughout the Old Testament are called sons of gods. This isn't to say that they're in the place of Christ at all, but that term, that phrase is used, right? And so imagine being one of the highest angels and deemed a son of God, um, and then falling into sin greatly and being cast out of what was supposed to be your eternal home, uh, your eternal home. This is painful, yet, this is how it was given to me, even Satan had to choose what he was willing to suffer for, and he chose to suffer for his pride, right? He, so, he, he chose to, to suffer for self-worship, and it cost him everything. So that's one of the things when we say, what am I willing to suffer for, and how do I suffer for it? Satan's nature is rooted in affliction, right? So we have to get that even Satan made a choice to suffer for something. And like I said, it, it costed him everything, right? So as we're meditating and praying on what we're willing to suffer for, that's something we should think about this week. And we have to measure the cost of what we're going to suffer for, right? So let's keep that in mind. Um, so if Satan's nature is rooted in affliction, then his nature is also to cause affliction to mankind, right? Um, so again, imagine all that we just talked about. He was cast out of heaven for eternity, right? Um, now imagine another creation coming along, that's mankind, and 
that that creation being made in the image of God. So we know that Satan wanted to take the seed of the of God, right? He wanted to be who God was. Uh, so imagine create another creation coming along, made in the image of God, um, saved from their sin, from their mistake, and given chance after chance after chance after chance to get it right until their time on earth is over. So of course he's going to cause affliction to what he wanted to be like, right? So if Satan is if Satan himself doesn't know your name, I guarantee that an evil spirit or a demon or someone under the influence of Satan knows your name and is going to try and come against you. And that's the bottom line. And that's where a lot of our suffering comes from, sin at the end of the day. Uh, without sin, if sin would have never entered the world, we, we likely wouldn't be suffering, right? And so um, Satan's desire is to take Christians out of the will of God. And so many times as Satan, and when I say Satan, it's it's Satan himself, obviously, but it's also those who are under his influence. Um, so many times, uh, fear is the biggest thing that Satan can kind of plant doubt in our heart of who God is. Uh, you know, well, well, that bill's not going to get paid. You're going to get put out of your house. If you lose your job, what are you going to do? Right? If he, if that man or that woman leaves you, nobody wants you anyways right? So we're, we're, it's fear tactic, tactics that Satan will use to afflict uh, suffering on us. And that, that's, that's typically how it begins. Not always a lot. Sometimes it's temptation as well, right? But temptation can lead to suffering. We all know that. Um, so a lot of the times it, it begins with fear tactics. And so that leads further and further. It can be into persecution, into more affliction, into more suffering. And so um, that's one thing we want to keep in mind, right? Um, so after, um, after Christ pretty much tells them not to be afraid, um, he gives them a warning of the coming tribulation, right? Um, he literally says, um, look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you and you will experience affliction for 10 days. Um, hold on. Let me mute. Um, Jordan. Okay. So um, Christ literally gives them a warning. And that's something I will say in my life that when God has warned me of something and I haven't taken heed, it's, also, it's always suffering that follows that, right? And so take heed to what the Lord is telling you. If the Lord is revealing something to you through, through reading scripture, through listening to a message, through prayer, through a dream, through a vision, whatever it may be, through a conversation with someone, if the Lord is revealing something to you, uh, write it down immediately so you don't forget any part of it. But it's something that we have to start taking heed to. Um, and so uh, a test of faith was on the horizon. And that's literally, uh, as we go to the end of the, of the verse, it literally says, be faithful to the point of death. This Satan testing us will always uh, result in part to a test of our faith, right? And so we have to keep that in mind. Um, but I, what I also saw in the scripture that he was equipping them for the battle and the battle was gonna be in their minds, right? It may have been physical as well. Maybe they were gonna be beaten, um, you know, persecution, that's a part of it. Um, being torn away from the physical body of the church and being whipped, being beat, being questioned, um, being, you know, all those types of things. And that becomes a battle of the mind at the end of the day. And a lot of us experience that today. We, uh, I, I've read a book called The Battlefield of the Mind by Joyce Meyer. And, 
And in that book, it just talks about how your, you know, your mind is literally a battlefield and that is where Satan can plant things in your mind, right? So that's one thing we have to keep in mind here, but the Lord was preparing them. He was telling them in advance. And this is why I asked, um, are you prepared to suffer for Christ? Because in my opinion, though they were, you know, they may have been in a little bit of fear, um, but they were being commended for for suffering for Christ. So they were prepared for that. And the Lord will help you prepare. That preparation sometimes is God telling you this is what's about to happen or giving you a warning, whatever it may be, right? So um, that's one thing that we have to keep in mind as well. Um, so this goes for us today as well. That That's something that I have with exclamation points after it on my document is that um, one of the things we have to realize is that our, our faith will be tested. And this is also why in, in the first, or it's the first or second question, when I add, well, this, it was a second question, are you willing to suffer for Christ? Why you have to answer truthfully, because if you don't answer truthfully and you don't allow the Lord to actually prepare you to suffer for his name, that's a, that's a, 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 a test of faith that you could literally fail in an instant. And it reminds me of Peter when he says that he was willing to die for the Lord and days, cha chapters later in, in the gospels, we see how uh, his faith was tested and he failed the test, right? Um, and so he denied Christ at the end of the day. And so that's what, that's what comes into my mind when I think about, am I preparing myself and am I willing? And I want to grow in that more and more because there's some things that I'm just like, Lord, I don't know if I could be beat with a, a whip. I just don't know if I could do that. Right. So um, and that's OK, but we can allow the Lord to prepare us. And so Christ encourages the church to uh, the church to be faithful unto death and goes on to share the reward for faithfulness. And that's the crown of life. And I love how that reaches back to verse eight, where he said or it says Thus says the first and the last, the one who was dead and came to life. And this is, again, an example of how uh, Christ, when he talks to people, when he gives a message to people, he makes it relatable, right? So he, he related himself in essence to what the church could possibly uh, endure, right? And so, again, I ask, what are you willing to suffer for? Uh, is eternity with Christ enough, right? So when you think about the things that you will lose tangibly on this side of heaven, are you willing to lose it? Is, is being in eternity with Christ enough for you? Is it, is it of greater value to you than all the things that you see on this side of heaven? Um, and so am I willing to suffer on the side, this side of heaven for a seat at the marriage supper of the lamb, right? So that's things, I, that's just things I want us to think about. Am I willing to suffer to sit with Christ at the table? Um, he was willing to die on the cross for me. He was willing to die on the cross for you. So is what he's offering enough? Is it, is it worth suffering? Is it worth affliction? Is it a worth losing? Is it worth losing friends? Is it worth losing the job? Is it worth being put out of the friend group? Whatever it may be, right? Um, so as we know, through verses eight through 10, uh, Smyrna was, a, they were suffering affliction. They were in poverty. Um, and they still remain faithful. And I think for us, you know, we we are very blessed and privileged to have some of the things that we have, even this platform to come talk about scripture, right? I'm sure at this point in scripture, they were hiding to talk about Christ. They were hiding to bring people into the church um, from time to time. Obviously, they were in public because they were being persecuted, but um, they couldn't just openly walk around with their Bible, right? So that's something we need to keep in mind. 
Um, am I remaining faithful to Christ no matter what I go through? Um, so let's see. Uh, and then the last thing I guess that I just have is if Christ said it, uh, it'll come to pass, right? Um, so let's talk about that's that's as far as breaking down the scripture. Uh, we'll we'll talk about verse eleven in a second, but um, I'm I'm gonna wrap this this thing up. So discuss. Um, so what does it mean to suffer in Christ? You know, I love Matthew six. Uh, 24 through 26. And it says, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? And what shall a man give in return for his soul, right? So we, we already talked about a couple examples of suffering. It could be physical persecution. Maybe the Lord is going to put you on assignment to go to a different country to preach the gospel. Um, maybe you're suffering in your finances. Maybe you're asking the Lord for a career move. Uh, maybe you're asking for restoration of a relationship or a marriage that you know that the Lord told you this is it, right? Um, there, there's so many different things. Maybe you're asking for a breakthrough mentally and emotionally. Um, are you willing to continue to take up that cross and carry it at the end of the day? And, and for me, for a long time, the answer was no. I didn't want to suffer. I wanted life to be easy. I felt like upon becoming intentional in Christ that I had suffered enough. Um, but when we look at the life of Christ, um, his life was, was a life of servanthood and suffering for us at the end of the day. And so um, that's just some things I want us to think about this week when we think about suffering. Uh, what am I willing to suffer for? If, if suffering is inevitable, um, we have to think about that, right? So let's read verse 11 real quick, and then I'll give you three key points, and we will go straight into the call to salvation. So verse 11 says, let anyone who has ears to hear Listen to what the spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will never be harmed by the second death, right? And so again, um, with suffering comes death at times, right? However, when, when this verse talks about the second death, um, um, the second death is specifically for those who have rejected Christ. If you are in Christ, as the scripture says, uh, the second death has nothing to do with you. Um, and one thing we have to understand about the second death is that it is final and it will not be changed, right? And so a couple key points and takeaways. Um, I, I'm going to keep going back to this every single time I teach in the series, Fear Not Tomorrow, Tomorrow is One. And so that was one of, that was the title of the first message for the series. And uh, that's something that I just want to keep reiterating every week that the battle is won. Uh, and we see that through every single letter to the church. And as we go through this book of Revelation, we will see that. Um, key point or takeaway number two, suffering is inevitable. So why not suffer for Christ? And that's something we should evaluate, right? Suffering is inevitable. So why not suffer for Christ? Um, and then takeaway number three, choose how you will suffer and what you're willing to suffer for and be faithful. And so as we think about that, we have to, we have to also remember the cost. What is the cost? Am I willing to pay the cost? Whatever it may be. Uh, so choose how you will suffer and what you're willing to suffer for and be faithful. All right, that's all that I have for y'all. I thank y'all for sticking with me. I know it was only four verses, um, 
but there's a lot that we can take and that we can grasp from that. So uh, I'm gonna turn it back over to Sean. I'm gonna stop the recording as well. Um, and y'all have a great day. Um, and thank you again, just for sticking with us as we go deeper into the Revelation series.